0: Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonableist Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Not joining me today is Eric Green. Instead, we have someone who pulls off the long hair much, much better. We're joined (laughs) by uh, Mizzou's number one bachelor, Ben Pfeiffer. Ben, what's up, man?
1: I'm doing well, Blake. Thanks for having me on. I think that's how I'm going to be introduced on every podcast for the rest of time. It's already been like three or four. Yeah, look, look, man, you you win an online
0: bachelor contest. Yeah, I did it to myself. I'm not complaining. Yeah, the the hair looks great though. I I assume did you have long hair before the pandemic, or was that a pandemic? uh... No,
1: this was no, this was a pandemic thing. Totally, yeah. I always had short hair, and I just got lazy, and then I decided I liked it, and I kept it. I had that's probably the story for a lot of people. Yeah,
0: I I was there until like a month or two ago. Um, It was ridiculous. (laughs) I had to join the headband gang. It was. uh, That's why. Yeah, you're pulling off better than I was. So.
1: Yeah, I'll probably, you know, I'll get it cut eventually. Yeah. We'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, you get the Sasha Vujicic vibes right now. It's it's perfect. <laughs> um, guys, this is the Raptors List Podcast. Ben is uh, one of the best follows on NBA Draft Twitter, as we call it. You can follow him at Ben underscore Pfeiffer underscore. That's P-F-E-I-F-E-R. Uh, we'll tweet the, the ad out as well. Um, this is part one of your two-part Raptors Draft Preview Podcast. Um, Eric might join us for the other one, but we're gonna have Sam Vecini on, uh, I think, next week, assuming he's, you know, not too busy living life in Australia and being our draft guru here at the Athletic. And as a reminder, if you are only a podcast listener and don't subscribe to the written side of the Athletic yet, uh, the Athletic.com/slash-we-the-six for a discounted subscription right now. Uh, today, we're we're gonna focus primarily on the number four pick, which you may have heard the Raptors landed in the NBA draft lottery. They moved up. Uh, from our projected slot of number seven. We've talked about it a little bit on here, but we wanted to bring in uh, a draft expert or tutor to really dig down on those top guys. Uh, ben, before we get into that, from a process standpoint, I'm curious what this time of year is like for you. Is your board pretty set from the college season? Are, are you tweaking a lot of stuff as you, you know, read read or watch other people's content, have discussions with other draft Twitter people? Um, where are you at in terms of the, the fluidity of your board?
1: Uh, yeah, this year is definitely a little different for me because I'm, I kind of like, because I I, I, I I basically took like a six months break from all things basketball to get my mental health and stuff right. This, but, um, so I basically Netflix binged this class. <laughs> so I've been doing a lot of changing and altering but in a normal draft cycle, um, especially one like last year where we had, you know, like a billion months to yeah. study that draft, um, come to think of it, I, I haven't had a very many normal draft cycles since I've been doing this. Um, but yeah, I mean, at this point, I don't think much is really changing because um, you know, n- normally I would have been, you know, doing draft work on this, on, this, on this class for multiple years for most of these guys, at least. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, there's always, like, you know, I'll, I'll get a feeling and move a guy around a little bit. But um, w- within tiers on my board, like, the the ranking doesn't mean that much, truly. Right. Like, if I have a guy in, like, my third tier, like, a guy ranked six, you know, could definitely be ranked at the bottom of that tier, you know, at 10 or something. And it, you know, the difference between that isn't that significant. Whereas the difference between someone, you know, at, like, if five and six are two different tiers, that's a huge difference for me. But, yeah, at, at this point, normally, um, there wouldn't be much changes. And there's not really much. i said I'd, I'd finished most of what I planned to do um, for this draft, which is like eight days or seven days. It's crazy at, at this point.
0: Yeah, um, so, so you know, I, I'm normally you're, you're way ahead on these things and you're way ahead right now. But it sounds like your process this year is similar to what mine has to be because – obviously covering the Raptors as yeah. a full-time beat and then trying to cover the G league as much as I do, you know, I'm always playing catch up whenever the the Raptors get knocked out. Um, that's where people like you are so valuable to kind of help create the baseline and have those DM chats with about prospects. Um, and, you know, find out that I'm not the, not the only person on Jaden Springer Island. So uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll talk. Certainly not. Yeah. we'll we'll talk Springer in, in just a little bit. Um, again, of course, the Raptors landed the number four pick Uh, Detroit Houston and Cleveland will select ahead of them it's largely presumed that Cade Cunningham will go number one of the Pistons despite the smoke screens that you know hey maybe they're interested in Jalen Green or maybe they could trade down Um, you know we're hearing out of Houston our own Zach Harper reported uh last week that houston while they've been pretty locked in on jalen green there is a contingent of people in that organization who are high on jalen suggs um evan mobley has looked like a fit for the cavaliers but if they're earnestly open to dealing colin sexton maybe that changes their kind of positional preference there Um, so we're going to talk about I don't think we need to give much time to Cade. Everyone should be pretty caught up on who Cade Cunningham is at this point. Uh, but I want to talk Suggs, Green, and Mobley with you, Ben. And, and I guess first, is there a bad outcome here? Like, like the Raptors at number four are in a, a pretty good spot, no matter how this shakes out in the top three, right?
1: Yeah, not really. Like, I mean, I think Suggs is definitely the worst outcome to me because I'm just a little lower on Suggs, like. I don't have him in that same tier as, you know, I mean, I have Mobley, like uh, the same tier as Green. I think he's like a a little bit of a worse prospect, but he's, you know, certainly, you know, as as much as I have shared my skepticism, he's a very good prospect. And, you know, uh, even if there are guys that are like better that aren't going to go that high, Suggs at four would be a fine outcome. So, yeah, but, you know, two out of three chance to get Green or Mobley at that point is is, is a very solid position for them since, um, you know, among guys who are realistically going to go that high, I think there's like a big three. In this draft, though, I mean, the the top two are much bigger, but Dylan Green is like a legitimately very good prospect to me.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you said the top two are are bigger because I I raised a couple readers eyebrows recently by saying that to me, I have Evan Mobley. and, And again, you know, I'm I play catch up and I'm coming at the draft through a very Raptors lens. Because all I'm doing is Raptors draft content, so you know maybe my board would be a little bit different if I were doing the whole league or another team. But to me, Mobley is closer to number one than he is to number three, in I my agree. eyes. So yeah. I guess for for any listeners who aren't super familiar with Mobley's game yet, um, I want to start with a with more of a broader kind of positional philosophical question. Where there's been kind of this trend. Not away from bigs at the top of the draft because, you know, we saw Wiseman and DeAndre Ayton before that still get picked really high. Um, It just seems to be maybe a little riskier and maybe a little less popular. Why is Mobley different or why is Mobley kind of counter to that thinking? Because he is, you know, kind of this prototypical modern big and he shouldn't be shoehorned in as, oh, you can't take a center at number two.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, people are you know see the playoffs. They see what you know happened to like guys like Gobert and Porzingis, and you know there's there's misanalysis around those guys, anyways. But they're scared for whatever reason. I mean, I, I think there's definitely reason to be to be tenuous about bigs who you know can't play at the level of the screen on defense. And, you know, don't aren't able to operate on the perimeter on offense. And Mobley like, is that guy to a T. Like he is a perfect modern playoff centric big. I think he has, you know, defensive player of the year ceiling, clearly um, can cover all of the pick and roll coverages, can pretty much play any defensive role you him. And then offensively can scale down to play next to other ball dominant stars. And I think there's, you know, there are ceiling outcomes where his offensive upside shines through. And he's able to really provide some of his own scoring and, and playmaking as well on the ball, even if, you know, he's almost certainly never going to be a number one scorer on a team. I think he could definitely end up being an offensive number two at his high end outcome. So think like not this, no not comparing them as players, but roles like Anthony Davis and LeBron, you know, how Anthony Davis is that team's defensive number one, offensive number two. Like, I think Mobley definitely could project as that.
0: Yeah, the Raptors could build a whole roster of guys who are number two or three, ideally, on <laughs> offense and number one on defense.
1: But- well, eventually, you need, you, know, you likely, you know, you need to get the number one guy. But, yeah, I mean, that that would be a scary defensive yeah. core, for sure.
0: Yeah, and I mean, that's that's kind of, we'll, we'll talk about other options outside the top four after, but I think that's part of why some Raptors fans have been enamored with Scotty Barnes as well, as you look at... You know what could this team look like defensively with Van Vliet at the point of attack and then Ananobi, Siakam, and another one of these super long, versatile defenders. Um, Mobley to me is, is him sliding to four, or even the Raptors giving up a, another asset to to kind of move up. That's kind of the the best case scenario for me. You know, you look at how the Raptors like to play defense under Nick Nurse's philosophy and versatility is key and I don't mean just positional versatility I mean stylistic versatility they like to change up the looks they like to have their guys do different things they like to tweak the matchups um, especially against you know the other uh, opposing team's top scorers to give them different looks so a guy like Mobley who can do a little bit of everything is or do a lot of bit of everything is is kind of a nice fit and and then the one drawback with Mobley defensively is that right now he's seven feet tall and 215 pounds and, and he's you know, maybe going to get moved off of his spots inside and on the defensive glass. But A, the Raptors have had some success game planning around that when they've had to play Chris Boucher at center or even, you know, Pascal Siakam or Rondé Hollis Jefferson as kind of the nominal center. And then also just the the kind of matchup specific backup bigs. That you could get, you know, maybe there's only a half dozen guys that are offensively talented enough and big enough where you're like, oh, we don't want Mobley on them. Well, the the type of bangers who you can get to come off the bench uh, in those roles are are fairly readily available, and if you don't overpay them uh, like they did Aaron ba- Aaron Baines, um, you know, pretty cheap in general too. So, um, what is your concern level with you know Mobley basically being a one through four defender with a bit of a question mark at the five?
1: uh quite low yeah. i mean yeah i mean you're spot on when you say that even if you're really worried about mobley's like post defense as a strength component there aren't that many guys who can really exploit it at the level where he's going to get played off the floor like sure he's going to struggle pretty heavily against Embiid and and Jokic, but who is it who doesn't yeah
0: yeah exactly
1: who can who can guard those guys yeah
0: 2019 marcus all that's yeah. it <laughs>
1: Sure. I mean, and and even, like, the very best of interior defenders will still get, you know, like, Embiid will put 30 on them and, and you will pass all over the floor. So, like, that's not a pertinent concern. There just aren't enough NBA players or teams that really generate efficient post-offense with the regularity that would force a guy like Mobley off of the floor. But even in this scenario where that happens, and, yeah, he's going to get thrown around. He already he does at the college level. I mean, he's so good in other ways. Like, he, you will see Evan Mobley, get bumped off his spot, move backwards and still offer a really solid contest or even block with his incredible reach, his timing. With both
0: arms too. I I love it. It it kind of neutralizes some of the getting taken off your position. If you can swat from either side and either arm.
1: And like Mobley is so physical and smart. Like he like, he wants guys to hit him like <laughs> like he knows where like where he can get hit and recover, and like still recover like he he like he i mean at least at the college level he toys with 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 stronger bigger post post players like, like hit me in the chest you no know, let me think that let you think that you have an open layup and you'll get blocked and i think obviously that's going to you know like against like the really strong guys in the league like you know like if he goes against steven adams it's probably not going to work at least right away, but as he gets stronger, I mean, Mobley's never gonna get crazy strong, I think, because you know he kind of has like the KD build, where there's like really, really like high hips and narrow shoulders, and there's only so much weight he can add. But he's gonna get stronger, I mean, at least somewhat. And I think um even if he's not like crazy strong, which he's never going to be, I I really don't buy that as a huge concern, just because of all the other ways he can compensate for it, and because of you know how like that i don't think that really impacts his game given his other you know really incredible skills and traits
0: uh flipping to the offensive side of the ball um mobley has a lot of perimeter skill for a big who is only 20 years old and that's you know i, I posted in, in a piece that came out on tuesday this like 30 second reel of mobley making cool passes in the short roll or in dribble handoff and the raptors use a lot of that with their bigs anyway
1: Absolutely. what's that sorry that is my music. I love it.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, the Raptors like to have their bigs functional that way, but I, I think mostly it just, you know, we've seen over the last couple of years in the NBA how damaging it can be to have a ball stopper at the center position who can't make that next read and that next action. Um, so having that kind of establishes a floor, but I think you know offensively the real draw with Mobley is what could this ceiling be because right now you know he didn't shoot a ton of threes but he has a high release point he can create his own twos a little bit um where are you at on on his offense uh both near term and long term I I know you said long term you could see him being kind of a high-end number two scorer but out of the gate what is his offense gonna look like
1: I mean, I think out of the gate, I think you kind of like a powered down version of like the ultra scalable Mobley that makes him so safe, like even if Mobley, you know, never develops the self-creation or the shot or the playmaking, to the level that I think he could, like he's always going to fall back on being an elite role man because he's so bouncy, so fluid. His hands are amazing. His catch radius is wild. Um, like you said, like the passing, the passing out of doubles, the short roll passing, the, the DHO operating. All like he, I mean, for a skinny guy, he's a pretty solid screener. Like Mm -hmm. for all of like all of like the garbage man, big stuff. Aside from maybe like offensive rebounding, which you know he's gonna struggle with because of his frame, um, he does super well. Like he's a great cutter, an amazing finisher because of his his length and his touch and his just general craft. So even if he you know can't hit you know any of those higher end outcomes like I've discussed, and I believe he can, like he fits so well next to um next to other stars because like again like you know he can feed off of great passes as a role man as a cutter um dho's i think he like even at his low end outcomes i think he's going to be able to hit catch and shoots i just like yes like the volume is, is really low but you know he's already a great pull-up mid-range shooter which i believe is a really strong indicator for you know pull-up shooting and shooting growth um like you said i mean he's already taking threes like three or four for, per 100 um but, but like you said the release is high um, his his lower body needs a little work um, but it's generally a solid shot for a guy's age and as we know, it, you know you it, know it's not very difficult for for nba players the, these days to generate to generate and develop a respectable catch and shoot jumper um which is kind of all mobley needs for that scale of that kind of scaling role so i think well you know he might not be a star in that offensive role i definitely think he's kind of always going to add value and will never be just a negative or a guy you can totally ignore which is huge Because those guys are the ones that get played off of the floor in the playoffs. Uh,
0: All right, let's let's go down your board a little bit and keep talking about offensive upside. Because the guy you have ranked number three is all offensive upside. Jalen Green from the G League Ignite, um, the youngest player of this kind of top four as a 19-year-old. Also, just a remarkably strong performance in the G League bubble for someone who is 19. The G League, you know, he was coming out of high school, obviously. Uh, the G League has not had a ton of even 20-year-old guys who who score at that level with that level of efficiency. Um, I was really impressed. You know, I watch a lot of the G League bubble. I thought Green's improvement over the course of those 15 games, especially when you factor in that those 15 games happened over, like, 22 or 23 days so it's not like yeah. he could get back in the lab between games to to a significant degree I thought he improved a lot and that you know early on in the Ignite experience it was kind of Green, Nick's Kaminga sharing that that top duty and by the end Green was the guy and he was the guy that these G League teams were, were trying to stop and I think it's worth remembering too that with the shortened G League um league structure this year these were not Like, the G League competition level is pretty good anyway, but this was like a souped-up G League, where, you know, the 12th man on one of these G League teams would normally be a rotation piece in the G League. So, Green went up against really stiff competition, shooting the three from the NBA three-point line, and I thought improved a lot over the course of the bubble. Um, I guess, more kind of philosophically, this is our first year with the Ignite and trying to project from that... How have you found the experience of trying to evaluate Green versus some of the college guys? Him being, you know, the first ignite guy who's going to get drafted ever.
1: Yeah, I think it's been really interesting. Um, the important thing with with Jalen Green, and I mean, you, you kind of alluded to it, is his growth curve not only over this last you know year, which I I, I haven't, I didn't like watch all of the games, um, but I definitely you know I, I know he was very good. Um, you know, he he was spectacular um in the g league but like his growth curve over the last two like two three years like i've been watching him since his junior year of high school and like to be frank he kind of sucked back then like he, he like he got hyped because he was like a you know a, a big athlete he could dunk it and, like and like make tough shots but he was not good like he was not good at basketball he was really undeveloped skill and feel wise um and then at, you know his his senior year of prolific you know he, he improved his handle his shot making um, some of the slashing stuff, still very raw, like, you know, feel was bad, so generally not good at basketball. And then this year he just took it up a whole nother notch uh, along with continuing to develop in terms of skill and handle and flexibility. Like he, like the feel and the playmaking and just the, the general effort got so much better, which happens, for definitely happens to some guys. So, I mean, it, it was a really cool experience watching him in Ignite. Um, again, it, it's just nice to see confirmation of him being able to do this at a really high level of competition um i mean i think like i don't think it tells us that much more than college in terms of competition i think he would have dominated that anyways probably given how awesome he was in the g league but i definitely like getting him in like an nba developmental infrastructure earlier because i mean college programs just have different priorities like obviously they want like their players to be as good as they can and you know maybe the blue bloods like you know kentucky and duke who get one and duns are more focused on player development than uh, than other teams but the be all end all like the goal of a college coach is to win is like to win games whereas like the coach was like ryan shaw and the, the g league Ignite guys goals were to you know make these young players as good as possible um even at the expense of at the expense of you know pure winning upside
0: and they still I, I, made I, the playoffs
1: Oh yeah, they were good. And like, you know, I, I think a lot of that is cause is because Jalen Green was like you said, really, really awesome. <laughs> um and yeah, it was it was just fun to watch Jalen Green cook some like you know, like while like NBA bets or like go up against Kevin Porter Jr. Um yeah. so it was um, definitely a good experience and like certainly solidified Jalen Green to me as like a very high level prospect, as someone who has like been a Green Skeptic for a long time um i really have no more of that skepticism i even though i don't think he's level of prospect you know that or or kate or mobley that is not a slight on jalen green that is you know just a a reflection of how good i think those two are um but yeah jalen green is super legit and he solidified himself in the g league so i mean it really couldn't have gone much better for him i think
0: um not to be reductive um with comparing draft classes but kate and mobley being the level of prospect they are would you have had green at number one last year probably
1: Ah, uh, that's a good question. i thought about this. I mean, I, I I, think he'd probably be in a tier alone with Melo and okay. at that time Philly and Hayes, who, you know, I'm a little lower in hindsight, but, you know, I still like him in the prospect. He, yeah, I, I think, like, he and Melo are kind of just, like, different flavors of, right. of, like, of like, slightly sub-primaries because I, I think Green is a guy who can definitely be your primary scorer and, like, your, you know, your general engine but isn't someone who you want being your primary decision maker. Right. Um, you know, and probably isn't a good enough scorer um, to, um, you know, be a guy who isn't a plus decision maker. Like, you know, like he's not going to be as good as good a scorer as like prime Kawhi or something. Sure. I don't think, obviously that's like a really, really yeah. high bar to Yeah. Whereas LaMelo, you know, I, I don't think is going to hit that primary scorer level, but can definitely be your primary decision maker as well. Um, so I think it's kind of just like pick your flavor. And, you know, I, I think different teams would would think different things and different teams would benefit, you know, greater from either choice, but I that's kind of a cop out. I'm not yeah, sure. no, it's I'd fine, man. I, I'd certainly consider it, it, It's a fun question. I'd, I'd certainly consider him over Lamelo. I think I probably think Lamelo is a slightly better prospect if I had the pick, but it's really close. Like those two are both really great prospects yeah. and like the semi level.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and they're the uh, you know the stupid NBA Twitter uh, discourse from yesterday. Whereas Lamelo Ball is a basketball player. Jalen Green is a hooper. Jalen Green is a certified bucket getter TM. I cannot
1: do this. No, (laughs) I refuse. I I refuse to partake in this discourse. Uh, Yeah, good.
0: Good. That's the right answer. (laughs) Um, But no, Green is a bucket getter, and he does have, like, a lot of different ways to score it. And that shot shot creation versatility is what makes him so attractive. Um, On the... You know more negative side of basically you know how what is the path where green doesn't reach his ceiling um i think one you know he's six 178 so he he's probably going to need to get a little bit stronger for both ends of the floor there and then i'm i'm not as negative on his defensive trajectory as some people seem to be like i i think there's a pass a path to him being passable there with his length and his feel and even the effort level wasn't that bad for for you know, a, a young guy carrying a heavy usage load, um, mm-hmm. but like you said, you probably don't want him as your top decision maker. And I don't think he's going to be close to the level of defender as the other guys we're talking about here. Um, but I don't know that he's going to be, you know, Lou Williams on that end of the floor. So, yeah. so where are your hesitations at with, uh, with Green?
1: Yeah, I mean, I i think a lot of it just just comes down to like. You know what you what you're prioritizing at the top of a draft which is which are those primary decision makers those off those true offensive engines or like ultra ultra defensive scalable guys like mobley um and just green he's like a really like classic two guard um who you don't know, get like again i mean like, like he's better than a guy who will just like get you buckets because he really can pass um you know, even if i think his feels never going to be the level where you want him being a primary decision maker um he, he, he can definitely be your primary scorer like you said, so I think ideally, like like you want to play him next to another like more feel-oriented creator, um, like like obviously like, like get Jalen Green next to like Luca or something. I don't know, uh, or or like aging LeBron. Um, obviously, that's not gonna happen. <laughs> but but um, Green, I mean yeah, like like you said, defense like defensive defense is his main issue. Where well, like I don't think he's gonna be bad. Like he definitely surprised me because uh I mean he was just horrendous defensively before this year like in, in high school and, and EYBL uh, he was like horrible like he never tried and when mm-hmm. he did it was bad but like he like like you said the effort was surprising I mean the, the, there were moments but you know, he's a teenager yeah. playing against pros like every almost every teenager is bad at defense like that's just how it is and green like like digging at the nail making some backside rotations like, there were some really impressive off-ball defense moments, which I just didn't expect, and I, re- I think are really, really pleasant to see. And like you said, I mean, he can definitely add bulk, his length, he's laterally quick enough. I-, I don't think he'll ever be a great defender, but I definitely think, you know, he can get to the point where he's neutral, and he's not someone you really hunt, which is kind of all you need from him, given given the offensive output he projects to to give, so i mean i'm not that concerned i don't have any like really huge like micro concern which again is why i have him as like my solid number three prospects like, he's, he's very very good but let I me mean, again just like you know with, with him not being like the, the, the really the archetype you you look for this high and i don't want to get like caught up on archetypes because you know i think that can be reductive analysis when you're like looking at the archetype and not actually the player like, and a 19 network. year old too yes exactly you know Players and prospects improve in, in in ways that we never expect all the time. So I think Green is a very good prospect, regardless. And like I've been on the record about him, like being one of my favorite fits for like like the Raptors. Like I really want like, to see Green on the Raptors for quite a few reasons. Is is
0: part of that like the Raptors' development track record where you, you you trust yeah. him to round out those those other offensive parts there?
1: Yeah, I think the rap. Yeah, I mean the Raptors. I think are proven at this point to not only help, you know, iron out kinks but also to help foster outlier development. I mean, you look at like all of Siakam Everyone, and, like, yeah. and OG's creation blossoming, like stuff that you just don't expect from their profiles. I think the Raptors are really good at getting the most out of their guys. There's like squeezing every last ounce of uh, of upside and promise out of their out of a lot of their players. Um and you know that all, uh, I don't think Green needs an infrastructure like that to thrive. He's that good of a prospect, but it certainly doesn't hurt. And I also think like one, they have the defensive infrastructure to insulate him at least early career. Right. Um, you know, with, with 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 Fred and OG and Siakam. You know, those are, you know, they, they have this, this system and the personnel to make Green's life on that end easier. And I think they're a team that's going to, you know, because like, you know, they have guys who, you know, the players don't, don't don't have a, a primary creator. Um, but but they definitely have guys who can take those reps, you know, in you know, OG Blossoming and Siakam and, and Van Fleet, um, who can take the pressure off of Green and offer him as many reps as he can handle, but not, you know, too many reps that he's overextended. So for those reasons, I mean, I, I think green in the Raptors system is awesome. I I think he'd almost certainly, you know, I can't say almost certainly, I think he'd have a quite good chance of blossoming into a star if he ended up there. Um, it seems pretty unlikely at this point, Yeah, it um, I think um, we're
0: doing uh, our due diligence here. They we're we're getting everyone very excited about Mobley and green, and then we're going to end on, so you don't like Jalen Suggs as much at number four. Uh, you have Suggs way, way down at number six topping up your third tier of guys um you have josh gideon jaden springer uh, ahead of him i guess um i mean people i think are pretty familiar with Suggs' game at this point there's again some shot making versatility there although he he wasn't a particularly strong um, finisher he, he's a guy who i've kind of said can score in a lot of ways but he doesn't get easy baskets in very many ways um mm-hmm. so there's you know that there, there can be some questions about that translating, especially given how elite Gonzaga's offensive environment was. Um, but Suggs checks a lot of Raptory boxes from like a personality and toughness and motor and feel perspective. Uh, so, and, and I think the combination of that and most mocks having him landing at four has gotten Raptors fans pretty excited uh, about Suggs. Um, so I'll ask you, I guess, again, being ranked number six at the top of tier three is not... A negative ranking for a guy, but it is slightly lower than what the consensus seems to be. Um, So, where is where are you differing on Suggs uh, from some of the rest of the draft community uh, at number four?
1: Yeah, I I think the main departure is just um, me like really valuing creation and then having you know just being. Suggs being less good at that you know than guys like Springer and Giddy. obviously like you know Springer's a different level of defender but that's you know just another piece. <laughs> so I think Suggs again like makes so much sense as like a complementary guard because like you said I mean I, I I think people have like been concerned about the shooting I really believe in it um yeah like the numbers fell off towards the end of the year but like like the the versatility the volume he's shown the you know the development curve and how good of a shooter he was his senior year of high school like like, like this tracks back. So I definitely believe in, in in the pull up and like the off ball shot, you know, being like good enough. And then like like he is bursty. And then like the spatial awareness is probably his best skill in terms of, um, just being like like having a map of where his teammates are and you know finding those deliveries in you know in the context that he's given. But just like like you said, Suggs just doesn't get easy buckets really in the half court. Even when he's able to get by defenders with his burst, you know, his handle and flexibility is limited. So. the the better defenders will stay in front of him he he can't jump um you know and he can't jump and his really lack of wingspan definitely shows up as a finisher um yes he's a very nice tough finisher he's got lots of craft and and balance and body control but at some point like if you're going to be a primary creator you have to generate easy shots and Suggs to me just isn't going to be you know i I don't think he's going to be able to do that at a good enough level i also think he's like a little overrated as a passer i think like there's discussion about like proactive versus reactive passing. Um, I think Suggs is like a was like the best you can get at reactive passing. Um He's I mean, a quarterback. So, yeah. Like, <laughs> really? It, is he really? Yeah, he but, was, Yeah. But,
0: yeah. It, that'll no be way. one of those things that I, I remember <laughs> so back i don't know if you're a baseball guy at all and you might be too young but like the blue jays i'm had sh- not
1: and i and i am <laughs>
0: okay uh the blue jays had a pitcher named sean markham who had been a shortstop in high school and every time he played the broadcast would talk about well he's like having a fifth infielder out there because he played shortstop in high school it's gonna be the same way well jalen suggs was a quarterback in high school oh.
1: Yeah, and I, I, I mean, you see on both ends, but yeah, like 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 he very much passes the ball like he's reading coverages. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a good way to think about it. Um, but what he doesn't really do, um, well, like like like, you know, like like he's not making those like tight window back shoulder throws where he's throwing his his receivers open. <laughs> um, like he doesn't have the high level manipula- manipulation or versatile deliveries. Um, or just really, really a high level, you know, passing creation and imagination and, you know, audacity, like, like you see guys like Sharif Cooper or even or like Cade or Josh Giddy exemplify.
0: Sharif Cooper, um, who at this point must be like seven foot six, given how he was uh, yeah. growing there for a little bit.
1: <laughs> yeah. N- noted tall guy, Sharif Cooper. Yeah. Um, or like, you know, like Luka or LeBron, who, right. you know, will just toy with defenses versus, you know, other less, you know, yeah. less talented officers who can, you know, pass around defense and, and create within the offense but aren't like that special level of passer which i just don't think sucks in yeah, and, like, it gets yeah that it's that difference bit,
0: between reacting to the defense and manipulating the defense um where yeah. you it's kind of like ones like are, are are they doing that and you're responding or are you getting them to do that so you can respond
1: yeah and having like great passing is is extremely valuable especially for like for off-ball guards like Suggs, like you know, suggs will run a second size pick and roll and whatever the coverage throws at him um he's gonna have an answer which is which is super valuable but again just like a lot of these concerns might seem nitpicky and they kind of are but that's just the nature of parsing like creators and non-creators towards the top of the draft and just in terms of my philosophy uh, like like even if you know suggs has a lot less downside than someone like giddy um or even springer like I'd rather swing. And also, I think Suggs is a decent bit overrated on defense. Mm. Um, his his point of attack defense is not great at all. Like his technique, I don't. He's a little stiff. Like he just didn't have a lot of success there. And then like while his instincts are you know incredible and like his reaction speed, um, and the way he covers ground are spectacular. I do think he's like really gamble heavy at this point as a defender, which a lot of young players are. So I'm not hugely concerned about his off-ball defense. So like, he's smart enough to the point where it's going to be good. I do think like, lack of physical tools in terms of rim protection, rim protection, um, you know, are a minor concern. And then um, just I, I don't think he's like as great of a team defender as his rep is. Like he's like he definitely misses rotations. And in the more like mundane, less flashy stuff, like tagging and zoning the weak side and, you know, having those next responsibilities, um, you know, where the flashy stuff, like the long rotations and the crazy steals get the hype. And those are important plays and you know, reflective of his awesome instincts and, and general feel. Um, he has a ways to go on that end. Like he's not going to, I don't think he's going to be an instant, like super high impact defender. Like maybe he's been billed as. So I know mean, those are the reasons I'm, I'm definitely lower on Suggs. But that being said, he's still like a very good prospect, no doubt
0: um so you're the raptors at number four you're not super enamored with Suggs, uh and for whatever reason the trade market doesn't materialize the option to move down are giddy and springer guys that you would be comfortable taking at four because of that creation upside
1: springer um absolutely not just because of his value right like even if in a you got to trade down like,
0: in that case if, right
1: like if every gm had the same brain as me <laughs> then then yeah because i think he'd go but because springer's going to go in like the in like the teens or the 20s yeah. like there's just no reason uh, i had
0: springer it. at 11 on my like very very early initial mock and someone with a team messaged me and was like wow springer i knew he'd be one of your guys but even like 11 seemed high yeah, uh, from from a team side um, yeah,
1: I mean, he's not going to go as high as you know I think he should. So, right. like like if you're a team that believes you, like like Springer's worth a top 4 pick, there's just no reason not to move down to right. 9, like pick up assets and then take him. Like, yeah, even if it's high. a little asset
0: at that point, yeah. right? Like
1: like, like like get something. Yeah. Um, like like I've
0: he, talked to our Magic Beat writer and one of the things we kicked around was like 5 and 33 and he was even willing to to go a, an additional future second for four and so i'm thinking 33 is basically a first round pick without the rookie scale and then a future second from the magic is probably still valuable for a little while for that to move down one if that's something a team's willing to do to move down one slot you can probably pick up yeah. some good stuff moving down a couple exactly but so but I think giddy you would you would be comfortable taking at four maybe
1: I'm not sure. I think there's been, like, I'm not really sure what his range is going to be. There's definitely been smoke about him going fairly high. Yeah. And I definitely like the idea of Giddy on the Raptors for a lot of the same reasons as Green. Like, the defensive infrastructure, the development, the fact that I think he's more of a primary creator than Suggs. And
0: that pull-up three looks like it's coming along nicely.
1: I do. I I don't like that someone is telling him not to dip the ball, um, it seems, because, like, that's that's a thing good shooters do. (laughs) Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I'm a believer in the shot. There's just, like, a lot of pathways for him to reach a good ceiling as a scorer, plus his awesome passing as well. So, I I do think there's, like, definitely more primary upside than Suggs, which would probably be more pertinent for the Raptors since they already have a lot of those, like, secondary and connector guys. Right. like, Like, you can only have so many of those dudes.
0: Yeah, you can't you can't have five. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe you could have five number twos. Well, let's find out. Yeah, um, I mean, maybe.
1: I mean, it's it, it, it's very difficult. I mean, yeah. you, you know, just like go back in history and you won't really see any title teams like that. Or, yeah, I mean, you know. I, I looked at it this
0: year. Actually, I think the closest one there was a Spurs year where they had four guys between like 21 and 23 percent usage.
1: Yeah, and even then like like Duncan was always good enough. To, yeah, like, and
0: like know, they were like a generational one. defensive team as well.
1: Exactly. So. Like 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 I mean I think like like that's just more the way they ran their organization than not right. having number one level talent because Tim Duncan was like very clearly like a number one option on like almost any title team. Not you know, not
0: a hooper though, I'm told. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't have got buckets in the draft. I knew you
1: were gonna say that. He would <laughs> Yes, Yes. Tim Duncan, you know, one of the greatest of all time, um, you know, just best, you know, best four traditionally ever, probably. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, maybe top seven player, but would probably struggle at record. And, pie, and you know?
0: a, a huge factor in me getting into basketball in the first place, because that Spurs Pistons year, I was in high school, and I like, I have like a distinct memory of eating Dragon City Chinese food from in Cambridge, where I'm from, which is like the Chinese restaurant in a small Ontario town. Um, yeah. So you can, you can figure out what that's like at my friend Dave's house. And like, like I was still just, cause I was a hockey kid until I was like 16. And um, that, like so. yeah. that finals being like a, a really big, like, Oh my God, this is like under starting to see some of the like strategy and tactics and, and just like how high the level of basketball gets when you're not watching the 30 win Raptors in January, um yeah. So anyway, Tim Duncan, great guy, great great player. I was player. 3. I can't relate. Yeah, you you were what, sorry?
1: <laughs> I was 3. Yeah. Um so I wasn't exactly paying attention to to the Spurs to Spurs motion week and in, in yeah. place, but not not yet at least.
0: <laughs> um yeah, this this is uh my age is a big concern right now be with Kyle Lowry's free agency because he's the last Raptor older than me. Oh, God. And, yeah, I know. And if uh, <laughs> if I'm older than any of the Raptors, it's uh, that's going to feel a certain way.
1: That's... Yeah, just holding out for the vet men. Or yeah, exac- or exactly.
0: Um, okay, so we talked, uh, you know, we, we don't... I'm keeping you a little long here, so I don't want to go too deep on Gideon Springer. Uh, I want a quick take from you on Scotty Barnes, just because he's a guy that... I mean, on paper, he's very Raptors-y anyway. He's a guy that I... I I know they're fond of. I don't know if that's you know in the mix at number four, fond of or trade down, fond of. Um, John Hollinger had him as high as three. You have him at I think twelve on your board. Something uh, like that. Yeah, yeah, eleven or twelve. Um, what is? Why are you? I guess a little less on Barnes than than some others. I'm imagining it's it's again because of some of the the difficult path to an offensive ceiling there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean. I mean, I like Scotty. He's a very good prospect. Like his defense is awesome, no doubt. I mean, I I think that like he's not like an elite. He's probably not like, an elite defender in terms of ceiling, like just because he lacks some of like the vertical physical tools, um, you know, maybe strength to, to 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 reach that ceiling. But like he, but like he's gonna be a great defender, no doubt. And like he would be really cool with like Siaka Manoji and, and Van Vliet, as as we kind of said with Mobley. But the offense is my concern. While yes, he's an awesome passer. I think we'll really excel like on the short roll on, on DHOs, you know, maybe running some second side pick and rolls as well. I just don't like see how he scores. I think there's kind of been a perception of Scotty as this like really good athlete. Like I've, I've seen him compared to Kawhi um, athletically. And I I think that's just absurd. Like, I mean, you, you, I'm sure all of you have listening, have watched Kawhi Leonard. Yeah. Um, Scotty Barnes is nothing like that. he, can't really jump he's not very strong he doesn't have a lot of burst or flexibility um, he's just not a good athlete and i don't know how he scores because he's not a shooter um, he's never been a really willing shooter um, the indicator has never been great again he can get to the point where he's fine but like not a good shooter um, not very doesn't have very good touch um, he can't really create separation i don't think the finishing is going to be great either because of his lack of verticality and strength and like i said the touch and the craft so i just don't know how he scores and having guys who totally can't score, especially in the playoffs, is really damning because teams can just totally free safety off of him and just have an extra defender to muck up actions in the paint or anywhere else. So for that reason, I think Scottie requires a pretty specific like, offensive infrastructure to succeed. And while yes, like he brings so much with his feel and his size that I think he can definitely contribute. Like, especially like, on a team like the Raptors that doesn't really have that ex- like this extreme gravity score um, i definitely think that's kind of a requirement for Scotty um at this point to reach his his ultimate offensive ceiling which he kind of has to do given that i don't I, I think the downside on offense is really really real for him yeah. so that's yeah. kind of why I'm, i land a little lower even though he like he's a very good prospect and like uh, another guy who i'd be fine with the right team taking like the top six or something
0: yeah that makes sense um okay let's quickly pivot to the back part of the draft, um, I think you you sent me a top thirty eight or so. I'd assume those are the thirty eight guys you think are worth, you know, at least picking somewhere. And then beyond that, yeah, those part. are
1: just yeah, those are, those are just the guys that I've really like studied
0: this cycle. Okay, yeah. So beyond I mean, beyond that, it's kind of like well, maybe for a two way or maybe a,
1: yeah, or know, I just like haven't, haven't done them yet, or yeah. you know, just don't really have it or, or just don't have a take that's most that's what yeah I, I like i don't think they're worth my time yeah um i mean i mean there are a few guys that i don't have like like david johnson like dayron sharp who i think are probably or something that i just like haven't gotten around to right but I, I think generally um a lot of the guys like i already like know enough about or just like you said aren't, aren't, aren't really worth my time because i think they're more like late second two-way types
0: gotcha uh which is where i spend all my time like it's uh <laughs> look guys like you know jalen Suggs and jalen green and evan mobley better than me at this point i gotta dig on it the raptors have 46 and 47 and almost always scoop up an undrafted guy so uh i gotta dig in there a little bit this draft
1: we still have options
0: yeah so this draft's a little tough to figure where like there are just a ton of guys with like a mock draft range of like 18 to 50 um so i guess on the one hand that's really nice because if you really like someone and you have a couple targets and you're a good player development system, like the Raptors, you probably feel comfortable that at 46 or 47, you can get a guy that you have a first round grade on. Probably there's going to be enough variability in the rankings. Um, for you personally, given the guys we expect to maybe be there mid second round or on drafted, uh, do any names stick out to you as guys you like as a fit for the Raptors? Um,
1: I'm just going to quickly say, like, this isn't undrafted. Like, th- this is, like, if I were to trade up in, like, the late first, which I, I just want – this guy is so perfect. Um, JT Thor. Love him. Out of Auburn. The, the um, fact has, that
0: his mock – Yeah. His mock status he, has elevated 10 or 15 picks the last month is yeah. killing me.
1: He is, like, the perfect, like, Raptors, like, developmental project. And, like, I think he's, like – I mean, he's better than like all of the developmental projects because he can actually like he has a really elite like skill relative to archetype, which is his shooting. Like his shot versatility, his mechanics are all incredible for you know a, a nuclear athlete and a super young guy like him. Like in uh, like a Twitter mock last year, I, I had the Raptors and I ended up taking all three of Precious Achua, Lamine Lamiane, and Paul Reed. Like like I just went like full, Yes, like, I remember that you stocked the nine oh yeah.
0: five for me. It was perfect. Yeah,
1: I, I just went all the way in on these like like kinda bad upsidey forwards. And I think Thor is a significantly better prospect than all of those guys. And I would absolutely be in love if the Raptors could find a way to get him. But more like later guys. Um Kessler Edwards sticks out to me.
0: Yeah.
1: As someone who's gonna go late who really shouldn't. Like one of the better team defenders in this class. And then someone with a really positive shooting protection, Um, you know, like I think like three and D plus wings, there aren't too many better in this class. Uh, He's a guy who I'd comfortably take in the top 20 for the right team. And he's probably gonna fall to the mid second, if not later. So he's definitely a favorite target of mine at that point, as well as Aaron Henry, who again, maybe the best point of attack defender in the class. Um, I think developing offensive skills, uh, really, really, really solid slasher. Um, has shown passing flashes in the past. Um, the shot is the big issue with him, which I think is possibly, like, it can improve, but it definitely has to uh, for, like, a close-out attacking role. Um, let me think, yeah. Off the top of the ha- of my head, those th- those are the two main guys I think of who are, like, you know, oh, like, wings that are going to fall you shouldn't. Um, Joe Wieskamp's another one, just, like, a really solid shooter. Um versatile some offensive versatility, smart defense, a guy who I've liked for a long time.
0: Uh, also he's from Iowa, which you know uh we know the Raptors love that. Nick Nurse, Brittany Donaldson, Matt Thomas. It's big Iowa connections. Uh you know, yeah. hey, maybe maybe get him and, and uh Garza at the back to back.
1: That will be certainly an interesting combo. Yeah.
0: yeah. I'm not I'm not super high on Garza, but
1: Yeah, uh, me neither. But I mean you know, I mean, that's yeah. like a UDFA. It's fine. Like,
0: yeah, exactly. Take a swing. Um, do you do you like Sam houser at all?
1: I love Sam houser Okay. I was here's was the next guy I was gonna mention. I think he's better than Trey Murphy. Um, interesting. Which is uh, an unpopular take. Definitely. Yeah,
0: they're um, they uh we're talking the difference between like a late first ranking and uh possibly yeah. undrafted ranking on a lot I have of
1: them boards. in exactly. I have them in like the same range, um, on my board like so I, I think they're fairly interchangeable but like murphy could go in like the lotto and and, and hauser you're going to get on the two-way because like he's I two just, years like, older basically yeah like that's the issue with hauser like and, and it definitely like it matters but i think unlike trey who i think is is just kind of like projects like a middle wing rotation wing which is, is valuable i'm like probably worth late first as a guy who's going to be an nba player like really good catch and shooter like he's large and can move well like, whatever. But Sam, I think, has, like, genuinely meaningful, like, offensive upside. Like, he can be Duncan Robinson. Like, he's that good of a shooter. Like, you like, – people, myself included, were, you know, infatuated with, with Desmond Bain's like, four-year shooting profile. Like, go look at Sam Hazard's, like, four-year shooting splits. Like, they blow his out of the water. Yeah. And Bain was an unbelievable shooter.
0: At, at six, eight too, where, like, yeah. you know, sometimes I think with specialists or, like, guys who might – get get shoot uh, pigeonhole the specialist, people kinda underestimate that the size to get those shots off is huge. Exactly. And that's that's the difference between Duncan Robinson and Matt Thomas. And if you're gonna be small and a shooting specialist, you have to be like a JJ Redick level yeah. quickness and, and savant getting open and stuff like that. So yeah and
1: Hauser like again, Hauser is extremely large, um, has like unbelievable shot versatility, is like a really solid passer as well. Um, and, and like i think is you know obviously like slow footed on defense um and can't really jump but like he's he's large and he's smart so like i don't think he's gonna be horrible um which is kind of all you can ask for like it, 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 like like again like like if duncan robinson gonna be fine enough on defense then san Hazard can as well
0: yeah well that's another that's another benefit the size has right is like exactly. it's easier to hide a six8 guy or, or find a way to ha- have him be a a non-target than it is yeah. with a guy who's like six foot two
1: like, like a 6'8 guy who can, you know, is going to be a good off-ball defender is, like, a, like it's difficult for him to totally fail and, and, like, be someone who you hunt. Like, sure, you can, you know, get him on an island against you know, star scorers and he'll struggle. But, like, most guys in his role will, and that's not what you're asking him to, him to do. And, you know, assuming he gets to the point where he's in that position in the playoffs where he can be hunted, he's returning so much offensive value as, as, a, as a scorer and a shooter, then it's not really going to matter so like again like hauser um the the fact that like that's a guy you can probably get undrafted is is just hilarious to me because well yes yes he's old um and yes he's not very athletic there's just like a meaningful offensive stealing there that you just rarely find with prospects that late in the draft um and like he like like i mean if hauser was 22 like he'd probably be going like in the first round
0: yeah, that damn redshirt transfer year. Um,
1: yeah, it's unfortunate, but you know.
0: But yeah, I mean, you talk about the shooting profile, like not only 6'8", but we're talking about 43.9% on over 700 attempts yeah, at that's the college like level. that's damn a damn
1: near a stable sample.
0: Yeah, right? and, and like a 90% free throw shooter on top of that. Yeah. If I, I know we've kind of come away from using free throw percentage to project too I think much, elite free but, throw
1: percentage still matters, yeah. especially over a large sample. I think yeah. that's a pretty strong indicator. Yeah. I think very high and very low is what I kind of look for as mattering a lot with the volume as well. Like, like like, if a guy's shooting like 79 or 81% on like decent enough volume, I'm not taking away too much. I'm looking at other options. Right. But the fact, like you said, the fact that Hauser has been an elite, elite free throw shooter for four years, I think is just a very strong indicator because um, you just don't see like that guys like that fail as shooters. And yeah. I mean he he's just such a strong value play in, in this draft. One one of the strongest for sure. Um someone like like there's no downside to taking him in the second or or getting him on a two-way cuz like even if he's like you know only contributing cuz like his prime is over in 4 years, like fine. Like you get a, a rookie contract of a useful player. Yeah, and then
0: you you know, you let him walk or you flip him for something at, before he's a free agent and Exactly. Not not everyone has to be on the the roster for ten years, and in the case of the Raptors, yeah. literally no one ever has been. So,
1: and if he um ends up like not you know doing anything, or he ends up not not being good enough for the league, you you don't waste like a a really valuable asset on him. So, like it, it's just one of the safer like smarter bets to me is a team getting Hauser late in this draft.
0: Cool. Um. All right, man. Well, I, I think I took a little bit more of your time than I I promised I no would. Worry. So. Well,
1: I'm no stranger to going long on podcasts yeah so.
0: it's kind of uh, it's kind of what we all do this time of year um, everyone you could follow Ben and all his great draft stuff uh, on Twitter at Ben underscore Pfeiffer underscore uh, hope you like voice notes the the king of <laughs> posting in two minute voice notes instead of tweets. Uh, I guess you can just fit a lot more context in that way. You can. And
1: it's like, it's extremely good because I can, again, I I can fit a lot more content than I can in tweets and it's so much less effort than like writing an article or like working (laughs) to a podcast. I love it. I'm so thankful for Twitter.
0: Yeah. New wave, new wave of uh, content creation. So everyone, everyone give Ben a follow. um, One of the, I think, leading young voices uh, on, on draft Twitter and someone whose opinions I I value a lot as I kind of create these baselines that I go from when I'm playing catch up at, at draft season. So, uh, Ben, thanks so much, man. Uh, anywhere else people can can follow you or find your stuff? Uh,
1: no, that's about it. I mean, okay. just just Twitter. I mean, I'm not really you know producing real content any, anywhere or like yeah, you know, working well, towards your
0: mental's got to come first. So
1: it, it does uh, mental and and the bachelor. <laughs> so,
0: yes, and and being I the, I'd imagine I wouldn't, your wouldn't, DMs are just uh
1: do it to myself
0: yeah um all right and if anyone else uh if you're looking for the written side of our draft content and you don't subscribe yet you can go to theathletic.com slash we the six i've been doing lots of um breakdowns like that um talking about some of the guys we talked about here one more of that to come and on this podcast early next week uh we're hoping to have the athletics draft guru sam bassini on to talk about some of this stuff and dig into more second round targets so check back for that uh ben thanks again man
1: of course. Uh, and yes, Blake does good stuff. Go check him out. My um, non, like, I mean, like my roommate who's not like super in the weeds of like, I mean, basketball Twitter. But like he is because he's like around me all the time. <laughs> he, he was like, oh, I read like like a, a great piece on The Athletic about the Raptors. I'm like, oh, was it Blake Ruffini? He was like, yeah. I'm like, thanks. Ben. So again, uh, thanks, big thank you. Thanks. Thanks for having me on this morning. It was it, it was a blast. Um, always enjoy talking to draft.
0: All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. Tune in next week. Uh, Not sure if Eric will be back, but I'll be here probably with Sam. Talk to you then.